2: So welcome to this uh, CSR pod in collaboration with the Sustainable Business Day 2015 and we say a special welcome to uh, Tim Guy-Brooks, who is the Senior Director of Environment at LIGO. Welcome. Thank you. So uh, you're now living in Denmark, I presume, since you're working at LIGO.
3: That's right. Yes, yes. I live in Billund in rural Denmark.
2: Yes, but you don't come from uh, Denmark
3: no, right. I come from a, a small town in northern England, um, so some way away, but uh, actually I'm half Canadian as well, so I'm a, I'm a mix of lots of
2: things. And you made a lot of uh, Lego toys during your childhood, I guess.
3: I did, I'm pleased to say I'm a good uh, advert for the company. I was obsessed with Lego when I was uh, somewhere between the, about the age of 5 to, to 12, I think is the oldest I would probably admit to playing with Lego
1: you don't do four backs now and of play in the office do you uh, you, like you, in we the office? have to play in the office oh, yeah yeah, yeah. yeah.
3: it's uh, everyone has uh, you don't have to of course but uh, we all take home um, boxes from the shelves uh, some of the new products that are released then we take them home and try them out and then we feed back on how they were to build and how much fun they were. And then we bring and display them on our offices. So uh, our offices look like a big toy shop.
1: Would it be a family kind of event for you? Do you have children? I, I do with? have a
3: very young son, so he's just about the stage of building towers and knocking them over. So oh. he's not building complex uh, buildings. But for lots of people, yeah, for sure, it's a family event. And uh, the kids, uh, uh, they, they, you know, they love
1: it. Sounds like lots of fun. In
2: your speech, you actually said that you just recently gave your uh, youngest son mm. a box of Lego bricks that belonged to you and that you got from your father and, yeah. and so on. That's right, yeah. So it's the family legal?
3: Yeah, it's, it's a small box. Uh, they were, uh, uh, you know, not widely available when my dad was young, so he only has a few of them. But yeah, they're able to mix in with all of the new Lego bricks that my son has. So uh, I try and separate them as best I can. They're the historic uh, artifacts of our family, yeah. Mm.
1: That's neat. You have, you have a bachelor degree in environmental geoscience, so you have a kind of early interest in environmental issues. Is that... Where did it it come from? Where did it all begin in your case? Yeah,
3: my village in, uh, as I say, in in northern England is up on the moors. So uh, a bit like, not quite as expansive as the Hardinger Plateau, but a bit like that. And um, they wanted to, uh, there was a local company who wanted to build a wind farm. Above our village and uh, I was maybe about 12 or 13 and I just thought that sounded really cool. I thought it sounded a really great idea that you could make energy uh, from the wind. And we were just learning about the environment. It was very much at that time around local environment, So plastic waste, you know, plastic bags in, in the rubbish and uh, on the land. Um, and uh, toxic pollution in water. So not really about climate change so much. But I thought that sounded like a great idea, and I I researched it a bit, and I went on, uh, they organized a trip uh, to see another wind farm, and I was the only person on the bus in the entire village. So I thought, (laughs) well, maybe I'm onto something here. And that spurred me on, and and then uh, for university, I I went on to to do pretty much the only environmental subject that was available at the time, which was a geoscience uh, degree. And then I converted a, into a master's degree in environmental technology, which was focused on energy. So, yeah, I've always been interested in it it's, uh, and it's been a really interesting journey so far.
2: Mm-hmm. So, so energy is, is some kind of a major theme in your work life, so to say.
3: Yeah, I think that's the the core part for me is around energy, energy technologies. And I think it's just magical how you can create Um, energy that we can do so much with electricity, we can run laptops, we can drive buses, we can even fly planes nowadays with electricity. I mean, we can make all that electricity just from the natural world around us. You know, the statistics that, you know, there's enough sunlight that falls on on the earth in a day to power it for, I think it's a year. I mean, that's just amazing.
2: So uh, is uh, energy the, the, the core what you are responsible for in, in legal? also? No, okay.
3: so I look after our entire um, environmental sustainability footprint. So if we divide it into the environment, the social and the governance. So if you think the social being the way we treat people and... Uh, the way we look after our own people and our um, our suppliers. And governance is how we act as a company. The environmental part of that ESG, uh, the environmental part is all of the things that do that uh, interact with the natural environment. And I look after the entire what we call value chain. So all the way from our suppliers, the people who supply our raw materials, to our own factories, because uh, we own and operate our own factories, all the way downstream to our customers, so the retailers that sell our products and then into the consumers as well.
1: You had, just recently, you were on stage on the Sustainable Business Day, and you had uh, a speak about integrating sustainability into your business plan, and you started by being nicely humble by saying, we're on the way, so if you would kind of give us just a short statement, what are you doing about integrating sustainability into your business? You don't have to do the long story, yeah?
3: So I think when I say we're on the way, it's, it's a long journey and, uh... Arguably, we've been doing it since 1932, when we were first formed, because being a good company and a good socially and responsible company is something that's very deep in our company values, and it's a very values-driven company. So, I, I, and I do try and be modest and say we're on the way. I think we do a, a very, very good job, uh, given our um, values base from that early early uh, start. But. When I put up the brand framework, uh, which is really the thing that guides us as a company, and those are some promises that we make to our um, people and uh, partners, and certainly it's a promise that we make to the planet around the ESG agenda. So by really anchoring it into our strategy and our strategy document, that's one way. I think by making it really real to people and providing concrete examples um, of the work we do, so if that's building a wind farm or um, creating better packaging solutions, that really helps embed it because it helps those in the business to see that there's a good business case. It makes a difference um, that when we apply that green lens on problems, we can actually create better solutions. Mm. So that's another way. And I think both, and then both showing the the carrot and the stick, if you like, is is another way which we work quite quite a lot within the business. So to show the opportunities of uh, sustainability and embedding sustainability in the business, and also showing the risks and being very clinical and detailed about what, if we don't do it, if we don't make the difference, if we don't make the changes, what are the impacts for our business? And some of those can be, can be quite severe when you, when you really look at them in the, in the long term. So we try and take a measured approach and, and both throw people a bit of carrot and, and give people a bit of stick sometimes as well.
1: If we dive into that stick and carrot, would you, yeah. would you be able to kind of, from your desk right now or a couple of weeks ago, kind of give us an example of a carrot and stick discussion that you had recently inside?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think um, what would be, I I think a carrot and stick would maybe be one that we're doing at the moment with our suppliers and our supply chain. So we're we're running a pilot program we call Engage to Reduce. And what we want to do is engage with our supply chain to make um, environmental improvements and reductions, because we know that 75% of our carbon dioxide emissions sit in our supply chain. And there's two ways we can do that. We can either tell our suppliers if you don't make a change, we're not going to deal with you anymore. Where you're no longer going to be our supplier, um, or we want uh, we we'll, we want a discount if you're not going to make a change on your price, etc. That's the stick. Or we can go out to them and say, why don't we work together? If we work together in a, in a collaborative and an open sort of innovation approach we can create win-wins between us. So something that's good for you as a business, so the company that supplies us with the cardboard for the packaging, if it's good for you as a company and it's good for us and it's good for the environment, shouldn't we be looking at these options rather than just turning up and saying, if you don't change your ways, we'll not deal with you anymore. And that's, that's one way where we're trying to use more of a carrot than a, than a stick and we really think that's the, the best way to make change.
1: You told the tale of locking your suppliers into a room and really, yeah. literally looking, locking did, them into yeah. a room. Yeah. Is that one of the things that you're doing within this process of engaging to reduce?
3: Exactly. And what, what we did there was to get um, 30 uh, supplier representatives and we uh, took them to a hotel. We didn't really lock them in. They could have left. but uh, <laughs> They
1: didn't want to. They maybe. didn't want to. And
3: it was three long, very long days. And what we said is you've got three days to come up with some ideas and the ideas must uh, save a minimum of 1,000 tons of carbon, they must have a positive business case, and they must be able to be implemented within the next five years within the business. And then we said, apart from that, off you go. You know, go away and work out, you've got guys from LEGO here, you've got our buying managers from LEGO, you are You guys are the suppliers, we've got technical experts, we provided a, um, an organization called the Carbon Trust who would measure, who would do the calculations, et cetera, for them. He said, you know, be as crazy as you like. And and that was really what we were trying to do there is to say, in the past where we may have just had buyer-supplier discussions. so I want to buy this from you, you want to sell it to me, let's do a deal. Let's take that out of the equation and let's see what we can do if we just open the field. And we found some really interesting things uh, in those discussions that we're going to now try and start to implement as a pilot to prove that the concept works. And if we can do that, then we would like to do more of those kind of workshops with our suppliers.
1: And these supplies, the 30 of them, they were actually competitors as well.
3: Some of them were. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. They were and how did that work
1: out to so put actual competitors in the room? So you're going to share ideas about how to sell to us. But yeah. Eventually I, we might buy from one of you. And,
3: it, I, and I think we're just learning the way. And I think there was such a great, I will say there was such a great spirit over those three days. I think um, the competitors, we, we put some of them in the same teams. We put some of them in different teams. I think they all look at it in a slightly different way, which was nice. And I think... Particularly around sustainability, we're able to sometimes step outside of the general competitive world and really try and focus on the, the issue and the problem at hand. But of course, sometimes there, you know, there are angles where companies think they, uh, they have more to offer than others and they may want to have a discussion with us privately. And that's OK as well, as long as we end up together having the best solution.
1: Was it hard to get them? I Like three days in a business world is a long time. It's a long period of time. You would usually get half an hour or, you know, talk fast, sustainability. But three days was that. You know, it yeah, when we were wh- really, how come you ma- decided on three days?
3: We were really conscious of that, of, of uh, that it was a big ask. We were asking a lot of our suppliers, and I think we had to really try and make a program that they would get something out of as well. So we wanted, so we put in a lot of education into the program. Mm-hmm. And we had our CFO open the the program as well because we wanted to show that again to that embedding perspective that it was really embedded into the business and that we really meant it. And I think we tried to make it fun and engaging as well. And um, we had some, you know, really amazing feedback in the nines, nine out of ten, you know, around how much people enjoyed the uh, occasion. So by trying to in both get, uh, make sure that people got something out of it, I think was, was, uh, was the key part. But um, we'll see if we do another one. We'll see if people want to come back for three days or not.
1: So it, this was kind of a one-time trial, and then this see is what a happens. trial, and, yeah.
3: and we'll see what happens, yeah, for sure. And then um, and we'll try and optimize it. And maybe three days is too long. Maybe it's two or one. But uh, actually, I think most people uh, felt it was about the right length of time. I don't think they would have wanted to do four days, but uh, yeah, three yeah. days was about right. <laughs>
1: So that, those are the stuff that you have done, but you were also saying we're on our way to implement or to integrate sustainability mm-hmm. into our business strategy. If you would dream about meeting us next year, you would come back in a year from now. What would you say? I mean, a really successful year would have included in the next step of in- integrating sustainability. Where are you at right now, and what do you want to do?
3: So I think I think our real um, challenge in the in the business is to uh, to. In terms of the overall sustainability world, the environment, the social, and the governance, I think we really want to be more concrete about our role uh, for children and the ability for us to make a difference to children. So, when we talk about play and learning and creativity, that's the one space that we think we as LEGO um, should lead the world in, if you like. And we try and split the agenda into many. Uh, part. So we we want to lead the world in in play creativity learning. We want to lead the toy industry on the environmental space. So we say that's the bit where we can make a difference in, as leadership. And we want to um, be ahead of the game on compliance and governance. So I think this time next year, what I what I would really uh, hope to be talking more about is is our thinking around play learning creativity and and really. Um, sharing that with as many children in the world as possible and our role as a company to, to do that. And that's really, I think, our co- core overall guiding uh, mission, really, as a company.
2: Mm. I have a question on that, <clears throat> even if it's uh, perhaps a bit off topic on your area. Uh, but um, if you look on the gender side of the toy manufacturing, uh, I mean, when children were smaller than they are now, mm-hmm. I don't think they play with legway anymore but okay. uh, 15 years ago they did and you know our daughter she obviously wanted the pink stable with the nice horses and the cute girls and the handsome guys driving the car mm-hmm. and my son obviously wanted the dark castle with heavily armed men protecting the princess from the pirates and so on how do you look on that responsibility as a toy manufacturer
3: you're right it's outside my area and um, i think it's it's an area where we have um, and you know that we, you know, we have a, a number of different product lines that appeal to, to different children. I think it's, it's something that we are very keen to keep a watchful eye on um, how boys play, how girls play, how they play together. Um, and you know we we are aware that that's that's uh, an issue for lots of people um, around the around the world and the the, the stereotyping of toys, the gender of t- the genderization of toys, the types of play. I think we we fundamentally and and I hope it's not too uh, political an answer, but we we want that creative play and that learning play to be uh, available to as many children and as appealing to as many children as yes, possible. Yes,
2: but, but I think it's the difference, because when I was a child, mm. we bought Lego just in you know bricks, it wasn't mm. a ready concept, but mm. during, along the way it's been manufactured like a very ready, almost like a puzzle. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's a ready picture, you know, so you have to build, you don't have to, but you always do, you build the castle that's on the picture of the box. So, so there is a responsibility with the concept, I think, for, not not just for you, but I mean for all the manufacturers. That,
3: yeah, I think we hear that a lot, and and a lot of people ask the question of why can't I buy just a bucket of bricks that I used to be able to? And we say you can. You know, it, it's it's oh, yeah, actually one of our, our our biggest lines that we have is it's a range called Lego Classic. And we sell about, I think it's about 15 different um, bucket types, just of bricks, you know, coloured bricks, no instructions. I think there's some creative ideas that are that are thrown into those, but um, you know, and, and those are there's the Lego Classic range and Lego Creator, which is um, which is again has a number of different models contained within one set, and those are very popular with parents and with grandparents. I think to your point. I think the one thing we notice with with kids and and it's it doesn't seem to have ever changed. And um, I grew up with um, instruction booklets. You know, that generally that those were the most of the models I built. And you build it once when you get it, and you play with it, and then it goes into a big box mm, of play. Yeah. And then you build whatever you want. You know. And I think we are asked a lot that our children just being um, pushed down this one line of making what's on the box. And of of course they do make it, and that's why they by that's why they're inspired but what we see is that then reignites their passion in all of their other lego bricks that they have already
0: which is
1: true but i'm looking for this green or brown line <laughs> you know baby clothing you would have this kind of the, the pinkish and then you would mm-hmm. have the blue or the black which would be boys but then there's these kind of brands that go in between and trying to do the blue okay. and the green line which is <laughs> you know you, you might decide yourself but So, do the. Now we are even more off topics. Yeah, (laughs) it was was just a comment of the, you know, find the in between line. That would be nice. And by the way, your instruction books are so nice. The best in the business. It's a source of inspiration if you want to do an instruction book. I love them. That was beside the point. (laughs) (laughs) Completely. (laughs) But it's really good. I'm going to go into your area again. Okay. Okay, Kind of safer into your area. investments or when working with environmental issues lots of the motivation or the benefit can come out of savings i mean mm-hmm. obviously and that would drive any kind of sensible business to make you know good resource use but you would also come to a certain point when you need a large investment to go into to you know making the big changes and you talked recently or just on stage about the large investment of of uh, wind energy would you kind of give us some of the background of how because you were mentioning on stage saying it's a 400 million euro investment it was mm. a hard case to argue mm. how did you argue the case and what actually you know the story behind it would
3: be? i think the story behind it was was uh and you know we first got power from the wind farm as i said last month but of course <laughs> you can't just build a wind farm in a few weeks so it's it's many many years in the in the planning but really what we were trying to do was to say how, if we have an aim of positive impact, you know, how do we in any way get towards positive impact? And we looked a lot at different ways we could deal with our energy consumption, and one of them was certificates, uh, looking at uh, whether we could buy offset certificates for renewable energy. One of them was whether we could buy green energy that was already on the grid, and one of them was, well, could we invest in our own renewable capacity? and what we took the decision to do was really to uh, invest in our own capacity i think for a number of reasons predominantly as a as a strategic long term investment so something that um, we can look forward to many years in the future. So it provides us with a very long-term um, view on the world. And I think what that enables us to do is to um, try and reduce some of our risk around energy prices in mm. the future. And so we, we know that if we own some generation capacity, that it can really help us flatten any increase in energy mm. prices. Mm. Um, but yes, we I think we, we really looked at it from a number of points of view, from our corporate reputation to say, this, this is uh, something that we should be doing as the Lego group you know we have uh, in some way the capital to do it um, we have lots of options for where we invest it this isn't the most attractive business case in the world and I think anyone who's involved in offshore wind would would agree it's not it's not a stellar business case but it's a good long-term investment and I think we took a number of those kind of aspects to say it's good for us as a risk in a business it's good for our um, positive impact it's mm. good for our corporate reputation it's it's not a bad business case and mm. then that, that's something that we should go ahead and do
1: was it driven by you was were you, it were you it
3: wasn't and i must be honest about that It was prior to my time in lego and this is okay. how you know i've been with lego n- nearly three years two and a half years so um it's it was something that was a couple of years before my time as well so So five
1: six years back or something yeah
3: and it's about that kind of time scale
1: and was it driven from the sustainability kind of department or was it some other you know who were actually kind of owning the case of It, driving it was certainly change.
3: driven by the Sustainability Department okay. from my understanding who really said they were, they were looking at the different options that were available around certificates renewable energy etc but of course it had the full backing of the CEO and, and, and actually the investments been made by our parent company Kirkby who are um, the owners of the Lego uh, group if mm-hmm. you like um, and really that was involving them as well because they're the people who, uh, who invest money on, on our behalf as the Lego group
1: so it was kind of a board decision as well, it was beyond...
3: I It board. had to be a board yeah. decision for that kind of investment, yeah.
1: And you have a promise of t- 2020, you should have a 100% renewable energy. Mm-hmm. Is that a your supply line as well, or is that your own...
3: So that's our own uh, consumption, uh, okay. you know, within our own production. So it's all of our factories and offices and, uh, um, sh- uh, y- you know, all of our... Uh, Uh, warehousing space etc to get into our supply chain obviously is a huge huge task and that's where we we start we're starting down the line with things like the engage to reduce program that I talked about
1: are you making any promises about because you were saying earlier that 70% of your kind of CO2 emission Mm. is down Mm. supply line Mm. and are you making any promises of how you will drive your suppliers towards this because it's an ambitious 2020 100 renewable is an ambitious kind of goal how are you kind of pushing that to as your suppliers? And,
3: and that's what we find that's well, that's why the sustainability world is so exciting is because you know most companies uh, are, or a lot of companies are thinking about making those 100 renewable yeah. energy commitments and we've made that so then the next question is right okay what are you going to do next and that's why we're excited about it and we haven't uh, set any any uh, targets uh, hard targets with our suppliers because we really want to run uh, at this point we want to run this uh, pilot project through mm. and work out what the best options are work out how we can collaborate with our suppliers uh, and again it's back to this carrot and stick do we want to go out and set a target and beat our suppliers up or do we want to try and find a mutually uh, exciting target with our suppliers that where we can make a difference and we'll we'll continue to look at it and you know we hope to set some uh, some goals or some uh, future direction uh, quite soon mm.
2: A poem. Uh, you can buy a selective collection of ecological cotton and uh, so on, and different labels of fair trade. But can you do that kind of uh, choice in Lego?
3: I think it's a it's a very different kind of um, business model, and I think the apparel industry struggles with some very different issues to the one. Um, and that's, uh, you know, uh, to, I think to your earlier point, a lot of their, or I, I don't think uh, H&M or Who H&M own any factories themselves. So of course they have different standards and different ways of dealing with uh, their products. As I say, because we um, own uh, the vast majority of the manufacturing chain, um, you know, we we see it all as being the best, you know, as being highly ethical, as being superb quality. Um, so we don't really offer a differentiated line.
1: But you haven't, you haven't decided. I mean, you're not using any labels, or I mean, I'm, I'm a big consumer of LEGO, so I'm, mm-hmm. and I'm out there shopping it. And knowing, being me, and being yeah. having my background, I would be looking for this fair trade logo, or I would mm. be looking for ecological something, or. But you don't label any of the stuff. You don't. I mean, there isn't lots of information on the boxes, basically saying. So is that is that because you feel you got such a control? How would the consumer know that then?
3: So that is partly a, a conscious choice, and it's partly a space issue as well on the right. box that you know the, there are lots of other things on the box, particularly when it comes to toy safety. You know mm. we have to be so uh, hot on toy safety that a lot of the box is uh, taken up with toy safety type uh, labeling and logos. But one that we do have on on there is uh, the FSC logo. Mm. So uh, that's our, one of our most recent. Um, commitments to be 100 fsc um in our supply chain so for with regard to that's forest forestry stewardship council mm. so that covers uh, it means that our sustainable paper and board comes from the sustain- paper and board comes from sustainable sources and so we have put that logo on the boxes but what we want people to do really is to see the lego logo and know that behind that logo sits um a, a very uh, a promise of of ethical standards of mm-hmm. high quality of safety etc and of course we produce things like our responsibility report which we're trying to make more readable more clear more easy to understand um, it used to be quite a thick book and we're trying to make it a bit thinner and a bit mm-hmm. more um uh, a bit more transparent and so what we would encourage consumers to do really if they um if they're uh, at all wanting to find out more information and they, they think, ah, I'm not, I'm missing a logo on the box, is yeah. to go on the website, check out our responsibility report yeah. and read a bit more about what we're doing in, in those yeah. areas.
1: And do you think you're yeah. successful doing that uh, as of today?
3: I, I think we're working on it. I would never say that we've, we've, uh, we've got there. I think uh, within the business on the responsibility report, we know that we... We need to find smarter and better ways of reaching uh, consumers yeah. with, with uh, yeah. sustainability messaging. But I don't. I think we don't want to force it down people people's throats. I think we want people to, uh, if they have questions yeah. and they want to know more, we want to make that information easier and uh, uh, easy to get hold of and available for them to get hold of. Yeah. I think the box, the Lego box, particularly some of our smaller ones, is such a tight platform to get messaging across.
1: But you get all those instruction books. And, yeah, and we yeah. parents, we read those instruction <laughs> yeah. books. And if I would have find, found you know the CSR sustainability page in the instruction yeah. book, I would have been joyful and, and you know, I'll buy an X one knowing. Because I yeah. honestly didn't know. And I yeah. should be somebody who is aware and conscious. But I had no clue of what you were doing until I started kind of searching yeah. it on your site. So I would be a passive receiver, but as a passive receiver, I've seen very little or nearly yeah. nothing. Um,
3: and I think we need to do, uh, you know, we need to look more into our consumers and find out what they want to know. And I th- I, I do think we're on the big, be- the beginning of a bit of a journey there, that in the past we have been very Nordic in our outlook and not wanted to... Uh, say too much about mm. the work that we've done. We have so many really great stories, but we, just, we want to be careful about how we tell people. We don't want people to feel that we're promoting ourselves too much and that we're putting our head above the parapet. So we are on a learning journey about what's the best way to talk to consumers about this kind of issue. And at the moment, our thinking is around that if they are interested, hopefully they will come to our website. That we'll find out a bit more. But maybe we need to uh, we need to yeah. learn a bit more.
1: Okay, the reflection would be lots of more, lots yeah. more kind okay. of for the passive receivers. <laughs> Uh, just to kind of... I had a, kind of, I had a curious question you know, from one of these Lego bricks that I tend to step on at night time. Very painful. <laughs> There's nothing safety about the yeah, stepping apparently on... Apparently
3: it's worse with socks on.
1: Yeah, is it? Apparently so. So you yeah. should be barefoot when barefoot, you... Barefoot, yeah. Oh, yeah, well, yeah. now i have learned something really mm-hmm. valuable from <laughs> this I've interview. I've seen
3: in... Um in uh, executive retreats they do a, a lego fire pit where you oh. have to walk along the uh, yeah. <laughs> Lego fire a pitch. lego fire
1: pit yeah we <laughs> all kind of recognize that from at home <laughs> well, basically great. but from one brick what is it actually made of you're talking about kind of plastics yeah beginning with and you were talking about your granddad's kind of yeah lego being inherited by your son yeah. now so what is the if i would have an as you had on food, if I yeah. would have, you know, what's inside uh, declaration, what would be in the Lego?
3: So again, it's, it's uh, slightly outside my expertise in terms of we have a very detailed materials team, but yeah. predominantly the Lego bricks are made of ABS plastic. Yeah. So uh, that's, our, uh, that's our, by far our biggest uh, material that we use.
1: And plastics would be oil-based raw, oil-based mat- raw material. materials. Yeah. And is there any kind of option to oil-based raw material then? Going Uh, the the fossil fuel track of, you know, alternative fuels here. And
3: and this is the challenge that we're working on at the moment. And we've said by 2030, we want to have um, more sustainable options or we want to be in more sustainable materials. We know that we need to make progress on materials. We know that that's Mm. what consumers are are asking us. But it's incredibly, uh, at the same time, it's incredibly difficult. You know, we have to provide the safest play experience we possibly can. It has to be high Mm. quality the colours when you build a wall of bricks, they have to match. All the colours have to be the same. You know, if it's reds or yellows or blues, mm. um, they have to be, uh, you know, super super safe as I said. They have to have the right sound almost when you mix a bucket of bricks together. They have to be shiny. They have to oh, not yeah. scratch. They have, you know, they have to mould tolerances of two microns, which is yeah. really really small, to enable them to fit together and then pop apart mm. with a you know mm. a child to be able to pop them apart. So we have lots and lots of uh, challenges on the material and that makes it harder to find new materials um, because we don't want to trade off any one of those. Issues, particularly not safety and uh, and particularly not quality yeah. so so it's a journey uh, where we're, we're working really hard we have a new uh, VP of materials who we, we hired last year and she her job is she comes from the uh, materials industry from the plastics industry her mm. job is to um, expand her team and to work with universities and companies and mm. uh, research institutions to try and find some of these materials mm. and if they don't exist to try and help uh, you know to get companies to help invent them
1: is it because i'm kind of thinking is there not a risk and this comes back to the communication part me being a parent i would say no you shouldn't trade off security or safety Mm -hmm. but is there not a risk if if i was informed i would be happy to accept less shiny bricks because Mm. you were telling me that due to blah Mm. blah oil consumption we're happy we're now you know but you isn't there a risk that you're locking yourself into a, a kind of quality or you know, a quality that isn't necessary if Mm. you get the consumers to join you in your task to transform. I
3: I think that's a discussion we need to have with our consumers, you know, and and it's a discussion we have all the time inside the businesses, is what if, what if. uh, The number one uh, non-negotiable is safety. You know, we will not trade off on that. Um, And
1: I, We all agree on that. Yeah, yeah. But the shininess or the clickiness or, you know, those are stuff that I would say, yeah, What the heck, make any wood or whatever, you know. Yeah. I mean I would be less concerned if you told me the story why you were doing it. If you just did it, I would maybe become unhappy about it. But if you told me why
2: But if it doesn't fit anymore, then you would be unhappy. (laughs) On the other
3: side.
1: Yeah maybe maybe I'm not sure you know only think, and Shiman, you know it's not fitting anymore I'll just say that
3: <laughs> our our guiding principle is really that we we don't want to have to make those compromises that's okay. you know we want to start from the highest possible bar and that's where we're at at the moment um, that that you know we want to be able to achieve that goal without making any of those compromises that people uh, when they buy the product, they they would be in any way disappointed. You know, we don't want that to happen.
1: But isn't it replacing one quality with another? So, it, I mean, the compromise would be saying we're le- doing less of this, but more of this.
3: And again, you know, I, I don't sit in the quality team. So <laughs> I love uh,
1: talking Lego. <laughs> this is a, a
3: totally uh, okay, outside my... Uh,
1: I'll go into some other... Okay, let's have then... The son... This is essential for me with, yeah. with my son, Melker. He's, yeah. uh, he's uh, six years old. And how much Lego should a kid really have? What's your best advice on this?
3: Where's my best advice? I think you know that that I my son has more Lego than I had, and I have more Lego than my dad's had. Mm. My dad has. But the beauty of it is that it all goes into a big pot, and mm. we can you know we can create some really cool, some really cool stuff. I think um, we know that that uh, kids uh, in in our established markets have you know. The Lego that they want, and the Lego that they, you know, that their, their parents want to buy them. I think the one thing that we want to do uh, is to bring that Lego play experience into the hands of as many children globally as possible. Mm. And there's a, you know, the, the kids who have a lot of Lego or or, or not very much or what, what have you, at the moment are those in the in the the more developed countries, the mm. Europe, the, mm. the USA, mm. you know, Japan, Korea, mm. etc. But there's a lot of kids who don't, and and that's the that's where we see the company moving in the in the future. Yeah. I, as to how much you should buy your son, I have, I have no advice for you. There on is that. no
1: limitation. I uh, just. He thinks there should be no limitation. Yeah, yeah. He's even thinking about throwing a coin in the in a pond because he believes you know, in a fountain, and then he's going to wish for all the Lego in the world. And I'm yeah. just okay. Sure. Go go ahead and wish. <laughs>
3: but and and sometimes that's uh, that that's good for kids to have that ambition i <laughs> yes, guess yes
1: that's true but isn't that kind of aren't we boiling down to the elephant in the room when it comes to consumption mm-hmm. because we're we're seeing you know consumption every brand that is a consumer brand that needs to be sold to consumers mm. there has to be in the future some kind of limitation to consumption and this is the core i mean this is the white elephant in the room for all mm. businesses um, and how would you address that issue? Because it is a key one in sustainability.
3: I think, uh, uh, and I'm not again trying to be political here, but I, I think you can, what children want are, are, are new experiences and things that excitement. And I don't think that has to go hand in hand with, with the consumption of raw materials always. I think that we can, there are many things that we can and want or that we certainly want to do in the future with with Lego and looking at, at um, you know, the longevity of the product. That is really, really important for us that it lasts a long time mm. and that's one of the issues with consumption is this disposable nature of, yeah. of society that we're in, that uh, fast fashion or whatever, you know, that, that, that there are a lot of things that are made and disposed of. So there's something around the fact that you don't always need to consume things to have new experiences. True. I think um, what we l- want to do is offer those new uh, experiences to children, and, and and it may not always be due to you know related to the consumption of, of, of uh, raw materials, or it could be more sustainable materials. It could be uh, you know looking at using recycled materials, whatever, whatever, yeah. you know, and. There's so they don't, I uh, guess what yeah. I'm saying is they don't all, they don't have to, long term they don't have to go hand in
1: hand agreed there's a in Sweden, there is an organization called retoy who's driving the idea mm. of, of uh, having children borrow toys mm-hmm. from each other so they would have a session in a library and mm-hmm. then you would go and borrow a toy and then you mm. would return it eventually like you know the book
3: yeah, you know. yeah.
1: and and would how would you feel, feel about an initiative like that because that would obviously limit it, limit the consumption mm. Mm. and the child would still have the experience
3: mm. I think I think parents and children have to make the best choices for themselves ultimately you know they have to decide how they want to uh, get whether it's the Lego play experience or any other experience play film whatever and you know that's really up to up to parents what we do is provide a product and I, you know I know there's lots of places where you can borrow Lego or you can rent it mm-hmm. or um, and what we what we do is we provide a product we sell the product and what we Uh, very clear on on our, our website is when you're finished with that product please do not throw it away Mm. you know um, almost don't recycle it either because you know that's devaluing the material so give it to somebody else okay give it to the next generation next generation give it to a friend family neighbor give it to your local uh, charity shop give it to a library you know and and I think that there is uh, when we talk about circular economy there's a big kind of push around well it should be you should take it back you should recycle it Mm. well what if it's perfectly usable why should you know by recycling it it's actually using more energy and destroying the value in the in the product so, so but how
1: about kind of business models where you would lend, you would give people them what you would lend it lend it yeah. that's the swedish word for it yeah <laughs> you'd lend it yeah you, you would lend it to people yeah. instead and you would it would still be within your kind of system because that's often the challenge for an individual consumer mm. is to mm. find the platforms for exchange mm. while you would could provide the platform would that be a business idea for
3: I think i can only relate it to my own experience of lego is that that i really valued and maybe this is my own personality i valued owning the lego that i had it was yeah. my lego i took ownership of it i looked after it and i'm able to give it to my son okay. and that for me is really really important that may not be the same for everybody and i'm not you know i'm not of course saying it for for some parents and children it may work that they borrow it and and give it back and that's that's fine as well but for me i i it, I look now at my box of Lego and I have a really strong emotional attachment to it. You know,
1: so. so it's going to be in the future will of next generation. It's definitely. going to be, these are my jewels and these is my Lego. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> next generation to yeah.
2: If we go to a sustainability on a more global level, uh, do you think that energy is the core challenge uh, for making a sustainability work?
3: I, I, I think, like a lot of people, I think that... Um, it's a, that's a tricky one, I think, probably population growth and, and you know, the rise of um, the middle classes who want and, and have a right to uh, the same standard of life as everyone else is the biggest challenge. But, of course, underlying that are energy, materials, you know, raw materials, consumption, et cetera, to achieve that lifestyle. So I think um, I wouldn't say it's the biggest, but it's, it's a component of lots of other uh, issues that are wrapped up in that... In that um, uh, larger population and expectation for better living standards.
2: Mm. How about uh, chemicals? Mm-hmm. Some say that uh, that could be the fall of mankind, or even more than the climate effects.
3: I think that's that's personal views. Again, you know, that's it, my view is that that it's 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 really about how do we use uh, technology and uh, the ingenuity of mankind to solve some of these big problems. You know. Uh, and, and how do we adjust our uh, systems to accept some technology which already exists? you know a lot of the, the times there are uh, technologies that are out there they exist they just they just need to be looked at in a different way to be adopted
2: hmm. Uh, the sustainability word is full of success stories, uh, and you can ha- hear a lot of them here today, mm. like uh, we're doing this great stuff, you know, mm. and uploads and so on. And uh, we are on the CSR pod investigating that, um, that there should be much more learning from uh, to gain from uh, telling your mistakes mm. also. Mm. Uh, would you be up for sharing a mistake or mistakes that you make, made in the process of developing Lego, why not?
3: These are
1: uh, one of the hardest questions. Yeah, yeah.
3: <laughs> I think, um, and this isn't with this wasn't an experience with, with Lego actually, but I think uh, in my previous role I worked for a big retailer, and one of the biggest mistakes that we made and and it was really um, misunderstanding the customer and the consumer, and we built a lot of uh, very cool uh, renewable um, supermarkets. Um, wood uh, wood, uh, frame buildings with glass and uh, solar panels on the top and all the rest of it. And I I was so excited by these buildings, my background being in energy and in buildings, I thought this is the coolest thing we've ever done. Um, And what we found is the consumers were actually shopping in the really rundown, uh, old-fashioned supermarket down the road because it felt cheaper. Mm. It felt uh, like a better price proposition than the building that we'd built, the flashy green. And, and we totally got it wrong with consumers. We totally misunderstood what they wanted. Mm. And on the one hand, what they said, and then on the other hand, what they did. And that's one of, I think, the biggest challenges we have in uh, the consumer goods industry is dealing with that dichotomy. And I'm, I'm as Guilty, if you like, if that's if guilty is the word, as anyone else is, that I say one thing often and I do another thing. And so I think that we have much, much to learn about um, consumer behaviour and we have much to learn about how we can encourage consumers into a different uh, a different way of behaving by, by offering different products and services. So that, w- that was one mistake, I think, by going ahead and, and building uh, supermarkets that we in the sustainability team thought, were the the right thing to do, but not necessarily what the consumer thought was the right thing.
1: Extremely good story. Thank you for sharing that. You're kind of flying around the world, we're guessing. We're guessing you have a global reach of your perspective, so we're going to try it out now. Yeah, okay. (laughs) Good luck by saying. Where would you, if you're looking outside the box, uh, Mm -hmm. say where would you find the most engaged consumers? What, What market would be most demanding?
3: I, and I think it depends on the subject. I think certainly in, in the Nordics, it's, 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 it's uh, the, probably the most engaged consumers on a range of those s- topics that we've been talking about mm. uh, in, this, in this interview. Um, I, I think it's hard to pin down exactly um, where. I think uh, certainly Germany has some incredibly engaged consumers. And I I, th- I think that there are different issues for different consumers globally, you know, okay. that uh, Asian consumers and are very interested in education and creativity and learning. You know, American consumers are very uh, aware of safety and of um, quality and of the provenance where things are made. You know, and, and Nordic consumers are very aware of um, labor rights and certainly is more of the social issues as well. So it's, I think it's a very mixed picture, um, and uh, and again I think it's it's often difficult to uh, to to uh, separate um, what consumers say is important to them and then their actual behaviour of what they go uh, go mm. ahead and do.
1: Mm. And where would you find the bravest politicians?
3: The bravest politicians, mm. wow.
1: Where can of look lookout for brave politicians? So where what should we look?
3: Uh, that is probably outside my uh, area of expertise. I think. Uh, I think you I, may lie. This yeah. is
1: we're <laughs> so they're not in Denmark. Based. <laughs> uh, I
3: I think anyone who is who is uh, who is um, trying to break the mold a bit in the right way around uh, sustainability and CSR and is 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 pretty brave at the moment. I think a, a, you know a lot of uh, um, certainly in the UK, a lot of the political landscape is is. Um, is becoming the same uh, you know people aren't as as maverick perhaps as they were so i think anyone in my in my world who uh who uh, really champions the cause of sustainability is pretty brave
1: hmm. and where will we find the best ngos in the area of sustainability
3: everywhere i think everywhere, everywhere and and uh, you know the those that are um uh, and, and ngos come in all different shapes and sizes like companies you know and and some ngos engage really closely with companies and some some uh, are not keen to talk to companies and you know that's great and it's great that we have a, a whole range of ngos that are that keep us on our toes as well and that, that keep us up to snuff
1: so do you do you have a favourite one that you would? Do I have imagine? a favourite? Do you have a favourite?
3: I I wouldn't say favourite. I mean, we've partnered with two NGOs, if you like, or whether you call the UN an NGO, but but partnered partnered with UNICEF uh, when it comes to uh, child rights and our uh, um, approaches on children's play, learning, and safety and and their rights. And we've partnered with WWF on, mm. on our kind of environment uh, strategy. Mm. So I, I, I don't think favorite, but those are our, our partners that we, we look to for, for guidance, if you like, and, and support and uh, critical friend, I think is the word we would use.
1: I got my last question. When you're looking for a source of inspiration, where mm. would you turn?
3: I go out on my bike. I go uh, on a long mountain bike ride or a road bike ride. And uh, I try and uh, I'm very much a fan of... Uh, the nature and getting out, and or I go for a swim in the fjord, or or, or or walk the dog, or whatever. And I, I think that's one source of inspiration. And the other one is I'm I'm very interested in um, in space and uh, astronauts who went to the moon in the in the 60s. And um, there's a there's a um, a great film I think it's called Shadow of the Moon. At the end of that film, uh, you know, all of the astronauts talk about the planet how. Unbelievably fragile it was, and how they could put the planet behind their thumb, you know, when they were looking out their, their, their spacecraft. And I think some of the words at the end of that film from these guys who were, they were, they were jock test pilots from Texas. You know, they were, they were, they were not environmentalists before they went out into space. They were these kind of crazy guys, flying around eating T-bone steaks, and they came back from space totally different, seeing spiritual, environmental, seeing the world in a very different place. And I think that's also inspiring that that when you can get normal uh, average guys who go out, uh, not that an astronaut you would describe as an average mm. guy, but um, who, who go in and, and they can see the world in a different way. That's, that's pretty inspiring as well.
1: Thank you. Thank you for sharing that with us.
2: Yes, and thank you very much for coming here and talking to us. Thanks very much.